Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, uh, we begin, and as we begin, I want to give thanks for the faith of those here. I thank you for belief. We thank you for the trust, the hope that is found in Christ. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who leave me not alone, but join me in their faith and trust of you. And so I praise you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about 2010, uh, many eyes were glued to their TV sets and glued to various forms of media as they were trying to hear out what the results, what would happen with a mine down in Chile where there were miners trapped one mile below ground. And many people came to try and help, and and many experts were brought in, and lots of funds poured out, and there was great concern that wasn't looking good, because days turned into weeks, and the clock was ticking for these poor miners trapped underground. But finally, on October 13th, 2010, they made way and finally a man who was grimy and dilapidated and malnourished and completely weak collapsed into the arms of his wife and son. And the world breathed a sigh of relief when all 33 miners were brought up from the pit. Uh, it was such a spectacular show uh, and display of, of a rescue. Um, estimates were, were figured to be somewhere between 10 and $20 million for this great rescue. It was incredible. And the president of Chile spoke for the whole country and really probably for the whole world when he came out and he said that in regards to the cost of this rescue, that every peso was well spent and everybody nodded in agreement. As we've opened up our Bibles to consider this epistle written to the Ephesian Christians, we certainly see that the cost went far beyond 10 or $20 million. For friends, the cost to rescue us, to save us, It was the father's plan from the very beginning of time. It was the son's mission to come and to rescue us. And it was the spirit's 
role to seal and ensure that the salvation would be yours. For those of you who believe. So that God would save his people seeing that every drop of Christ's blood was well spent to save you. For Paul, this gospel message that he opens with is a message that he desires Christians not just to know about, but actually to grow into. And that's kind of the emphasis, the tone, the thrust is not that just we would know about this, but we would grow deeper in this gospel message. My hope this morning for you is that you would walk away with a renewed vision of what it is a Christian is to have, but also to know deep down that you must know the Lord through his revelation, through his riches, and through his resurrection. That's how this passage unfolds, and that's how we'll unfold our time, to know the Lord deeper through his revelation, his riches, and his resurrection. If you would picture this section with me, and perhaps I was trying to structure this and think about this, and how do I get my mind wrapped around this longer paragraph here, and how does this come together? For me, it was helpful. Maybe for you, it will be too. To envision this this, section, section as a web page, as a website, where you come to the landing page, and like many websites, at the very top of the website, there's a, a, a title for it. There, there's, a, there's some sort of title at the top, and sometimes a subtitle, almost as if it was a book. And for this section, the very top of this page would read something like, um, Paul is giving thanks to God for the Ephesians' faith and their love for one another. And then the little subtitle underneath would say, Paul now is asking God to give something. So, in other words, Paul is praying up to God, giving thanks for the Ephesians' faith, and he's praying that God would give something. And then on this webpage, if you could picture three, three panels, three pictures in a row, and these three are like three buttons that you could click on to go deeper. And the first would be an image of a scroll with the face of a man behind it. And this would represent the knowledge of not just about Jesus and about himself as he's revealed himself in scripture. It would actually be uh, understanding his self-revealed person so that we know him. And the middle picture or the middle panel and button would be that of a treasure chest opened up representing the treasure of and riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then third, we'd see a casket in the, it's an open casket. And when you look inside the open casket, there's nothing inside representing the resurrection of Jesus because he's not in the casket. He's not in the grave. It's empty. And so let me begin now at the very top of this webpage. Let me begin where Paul is giving thanks for the Ephesians faith. In verses 15 and 16. Let me read this again to bring it to mind where he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here, we have this great reminder to consider what is at the very heart of Christians praying for others. I mean, does it not leap off the page to you when you see this passage and you slow down, you think through this? Um, notice Paul, he's not saying, I give thanks because 
uh, I, I've been praying that God would increase your finances or that God would increase your health or, or that God would make you generally a happy people. No. We see rather he's giving thanks for their belief, for their faith. And of course, the way that this tends to smack me right between the eyes is I'm so poor at times at giving thanks for one another. I can be poor at times of giving thanks for you and your faith and your trust in Christ. Ask yourself how many times you sit back when you're in prayer and rather than asking the Lord to give us something, we are just giving thanks to the Lord for the faith, for the church family, for the church body, for the church in general, and particularly for the faith of those you know in this room or in your family. This is one small area that I have been continuously challenged in and seen a little bit of growth, trying to set aside time to intentionally give thanks for the faith of my brothers and my sisters here in this room. And one simple little way that this can land on us is you can grab the directory, which is digitally on your phone for this church. If you belong to this church, open up the app on your phone and just go through and begin to pick up where you left off, giving thanks for your brothers and sisters and the faith that they have and praying that God would keep their faith and enrich their faith. Um, You could grab a printed copy of the directory. Dan this morning has copies for those who would like to have one so that you could pray through this church body. And I, I noticed that this wasn't a passing thing for Paul. It wasn't a, well, I've prayed that once and now I move on to other things. He says, I do this as a continuous thing. I do not cease to give thanks for you. What, a, what encouragement. Like this is, a, this is an ongoing thing for Paul that he's doing. And so at the very top of this webpage, this banner, is Paul saying, I'm giving thanks for your faith and I'm giving thanks for the love that you have for one another. And I pray this continuously. And then Paul's, as he's praying, giving thanks, he's now praying that God would give something. He's giving thanks. Now, God, would you give something? And what he's hoping the Lord would give is what I'm picturing in these three panels, these three pictures or buttons, if you will. And the first one, this scroll with the image of a, of a man's face behind it, this idea that we would know the Lord, not just know about him, but we would truly know him. Paul's request is that he, meaning God the Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So here, to know God is to know him as he's revealed himself to us. This is through his self-disclosure in the scriptures. For Paul, well, of course, this meant in his day, he didn't have the completed New Testament, so he's going back to the Old Testament scriptures and using them as a foundation for understanding, a deepening, growing, learning about Christ, about the Messiah to come. And for you and I, we get the pleasures and we have the riches of being able to tap not only into the Old Testament, the New Testament, where we see most clearly a deepening understanding of who Christ is. And we're not just merely, as we're reading, trying to gain more Bible facts. We're not reading with the intention of, you know, just merely checking the box for more rules to to check off or more Bible reading programs to check off. But actually, our heart's desire and Paul's desire for us is that we would grow in a deepening knowing love of our creator, a, a deepening 
abiding in him like a, like a child would grow in their trust and their love for a parent. You see, I don't need another book to read. I've got plenty of books to read. But I desperately need to know my creator. I need to know him in ways that would strengthen my faith, that would give me a joy to be his adopted child, as, the, as Ephesians opens up with, a, a hope that would anchor um, me in what is to come because I read about what Christ has and for me in my future. Harry Ironside, who taught at Moody Bible, um, he, he tells of a, a meeting a very godly man uh, early on in his ministry. He met a man who, uh, who was dying of tuberculosis, and while visiting him, Ironside was talking with him about the scriptures. And this man was barely able to speak, uh, but the man called him and, and he says, hey, you, you're, you're trying to, to preach the gospel of Christ, are you not? Isn't that your intention? And, and Ironside, yes, of course, that, that is what I'm trying to do. And he says, come here, open up your Bible, open it up. And so Harry opens up his Bible and he sits down. And this man proceeded to go from scripture to scripture, passage to passage, teaching Harry Ironside truths that he had never understood before. And Ironside was dumbfounded about all these rich truths. And he asked, where did you get these? How did you come to this understanding of the Lord and his word and the revealed word of, of, of understanding of, of knowledge of truth of Christ? Was this in seminary? Was this in some book? Where did you get this? And the man answered, he said, I learned these truths on my knees with my Bible opened. I, 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 I asked the Lord to open up my mind to the wonderful truths of his word, revealing his very self to me. And that is, friends, I think what Paul is praying and he desires for us that we with on our knees, that we would come to a deeper knowledge and understanding of God himself, spending time with him on our knees, with our Bibles open, that we would have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Christian, I ask you, do you have this? Do you ever simply waste time with God? Do you say, not for the Bible study, not for the reading checklist, but just to know him. Paul prays that a deepening knowledge of the Lord would be given to his saints, that you would have that. And so again, if we were on this webpage in this first panel, we see this scroll, this image of a man, but then we consider this second one in the middle here where we see a treasure chest that is opened up with rich treasures in the middle, um, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so Paul here, he's praying not only that we would know God himself, but through this that we would understand his inheritance. Paul wants you to have a... a, a a deepening understanding of something as you become a deeper Christian in Christ. And that, you would say, is yes, I totally get it. We can breeze right through this really quickly because I understand my inheritance in Christ is that salvation and this glorious future that is ours in Jesus. I mean, especially just having read verse 14. Look at, look at verse 14 where he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? And we say, oh yeah, the inheritance that you and I have, which is, which is Christ, salvation, our future in heaven. But not so fast. Because here, it's referencing something different. It's referencing here, his inheritance. Not your inheritance, his inheritance. 
Whose inheritance? Christ's inheritance. So by inheritance, this can't be gold or silver. What is the inheritance in reference to here? Look in your Bibles at verse 18, where he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you see that? That little phrase at the end is so key. His inheritance in the saints. The saints are the inheritance here. The Christians are the inheritance here. The church. And so while it's true, you and I, on one hand, we receive an inheritance in Christ, the salvation. But from a different angle, we are the inheritance that Christ receives. So I scratch my head and I wonder, why is it that Paul was praying that we would see this? Why is it that Paul was praying that you and I would know Christ's inheritance? You know, as I opened up at the top of this webpage, this banner, Paul was giving thanks for the Ephesians faith, the Ephesians trust and belief in Christ. And he was saying, and your love for one another. And then he's praying here, God, would you deepen that? They have a love for one another, but would they grow in a deeper appreciation for Christ's inheritance, the church? Would they grow in a deeper love and understanding of the one another for each other right here? And this, friends, is exactly what will help me. This is what will help me love my brothers and sisters here when they can be difficult, challenging, frustrating, annoying, unkind, rude. Shall I go on? (laughs) You're thinking, well, Thomas, you've described yourself. You should go on. But if I remember that you and you remember that I am part of Christ's treasured possession well, if, if Christ values, like, values us like this, his inheritance, and if he places such a high, high value on one another here, it reminds me, well, so, so should I. So should I. There's not one believer here that Jesus said was not worth the cost of his life. Not one here. And in light of the theme of this book, the unfolding mystery of Christ's people called the ecclesia, the, the, the gathering, the, the church. Well, I'm reminded that this people that Christ is concerned with are not disconnected selves. They are gathered people who form his body. And there are many members who are all functioning in their unique giftings that make up his treasured inheritance. I'm reminded of the rescue mission that was worth every peso. I'm reminded of the rescue mission that was worth every drop of blood of Christ's blood. And if this is how Christ views his treasured possession, Christian, do you View his inheritance like that. Do you value the one another here? Well, if we consider not just the scroll with the image of the man that we are to know, not just the treasure possession, which is us, the church, but we consider this casket that's opened and it's empty. (laughs) And this is where Paul is going to double click For when you click on this button here, Paul is going to expand more on the realities of this open casket. It's almost as if it takes us to a whole nother page in which he's going to unravel the fullness of this that we have in Christ, this resurrection. And so when tragedy strikes us and the lives of our loved ones who are taken, you and I were looking for a power that will undo what has happened. 
We desire that a power that will at least prevent this from happening in the future so that if a car accident happens or occurs and, you know, we find out, well, so-and-so wasn't buckled up and we begin to think, well, how can we prevent this from happening again? We don't want this, you know, more people to be injured or killed in this way. They should be all buckled up. So we think we'll enact more legislature. We'll, we'll put more funding for billboards reminding you to buckle up. We'll raise the fines for those who refuse to buckle up because we need some sort of power to prevent this awful tragedy from happening. We want to have the power over death. And so we're looking for ways. How can I gain access into a power that will stop this from happening? Or sadly, when a mass shooting occurs, we look for the power to stop this from happening. So more gun laws are put forward and hope that we can prevent this from occurring. The power to stop death is a huge, huge draw for us. It has been said that America's favorite pastime is staving off our death. So that even when we look at the ways we spend our money, we spend upwards of $500 billion a year in health products. We spend over a trillion dollars a year in pharmaceuticals. Because you and I were looking for power over death. Perhaps it's the greatest human issue we face for the power that death has over us seems to be the greatest power that there is. And the Christian answer to this problem is exactly where Paul's headed. The Christian answer to all this will not be just if I can know what right laws should be or I can get better legislature. It won't be better education. It won't be knowing the right supplements or pills to take. No, It will be if you and I can know someone. Paul is asking on our behalf that we would know. Know what? Look at verse 19. That you and I would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So follow the movement here of Paul for just a minute. Follow the movement. How is it that God has displayed his power most clearly? Well, the movement is that God raises Jesus from the dead. God displays his power in being more powerful than the most powerful force that you and I know, which is death. And God raised him in resurrection glory, not to the humble position of a carpenter. No, the picture is, but that of a mighty king. He raised Christ to the highest position in the heaven. And as if that wasn't enough, Paul says where Christ is seated as king overall. This here is interesting because for most leaders and most presidents and most kings that we see in our time, uh, this kingship is, is temporary. It comes to an end at a certain point. Um, did anybody see recently the crowning of King Charles, you know, I don't know if you saw that recently. It was an interesting thing to see. Uh, His mother was the longest reigning monarch in in England. For 70 years, her reign was in England. And honestly, I I would argue, you know, even with the pomp and the circumstance a lot, I don't know that she had all that much power. She wasn't able to make all the decisions for the country and turn things on a dime. And yet with Christ, Paul says, He is far above all rule and authority and a power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So the picture here is unlike many leaders or kings or presidents of our time, 
limited in power, limited in time. Christ, in great contrast, full power. Power over the most incredible things that you could possibly imagine, even over death itself. And it's eternal. His reign will continue on and never cease. We'll never have to worry if he's going to be kicked off the throne. We'll never have to worry the God who is great love and great power will cease to rule and reign. No. This, this is an amazing picture for us. These panels as we move through them. And this is not the end of the movement for the power that Paul has double clicked on here. It gives us the vision of a person who is a head with a body. The, the power was not just that the head was raised and raised up off the body. No, the picture of the head, meaning Christ raised up, is the head connected with his own body. Look at this in verse 22 through 23. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Who's the church? The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So later in chapter 5, Paul will highlight the unity between Christ and the church. And he says, this unity between Christ and the church is so connected and so tight, it's like a husband and a wife. So he says that, you know, just as uh, a husband and wife join together and are united as, as one person, so it is with Christ our head and the church, his body. Um, S.M. Ba notes in his notes, he says, it's as if Adam who said to Eve, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is how Christ views the church like his own body. Recall that Paul is writing to the Ephesians here. These Ephesians were a mixed group of people. They were Jews and Greeks joined together. But, it, but if we consider just for a moment the Greeks, recall that for, for the Gentiles, for the Greeks, that they were looking for a power that would cause them to have mastery over life. And that if they could have mastery over life, they could gain approval. I mean, this is something that we see in our time. If you can kind of become the master of your life, you get everything put together, you're organized, you got the finances, you got the plan, you got the 10-year, 20-year plan, you got it all put together, you can gain approval from other people who are looking inside into your life. It, it, it was the same for them. They wanted to have this mastery over it. And so if you connected yourself to a cross in any way, you're connecting yourself to something that brought weakness, suffering, and death. And when you connect yourself to something that is embedded with weakness and death, this shouts out failure, dishonor, and shame. So you would never do that. But if what happened with Christ ended at the cross, well then of course, all you get is failure, dishonor, and shame. But what Paul is saying here, being that this is true, it overcomes and overwhelms the shame of the cross because God's power over death has been displayed in Christ to show that a surpassing power that is greater than anything this world has been found in Christ. What is it that Paul is saying to us? With another rich section, Paul is telling you and I that God's power is on display in Christ ruling as king over, over us, his body, his head for eternity. And he prays that God would grant you understanding of that power. That if we, if you and I, if we stop short, if we just stop at the cross and forgiveness in Christ, but we don't continue the story to see that he's in resurrected glory, that we're actually 
missing out. We don't know the fullness of what chapter one is really covering here unless we see the full story, the full tale, the true power of God. Perhaps Paul puts it most clearly and most plainly in Romans chapter one, verse 16, where he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Power in lightning bolts, in earthquakes, in tornadoes? No. What about in his ability to just speak and merely create? That's power. But that's not the power that Paul's speaking of. What about his power literally in electricity and things like nuclear energy? No. Where is it that the Bible returns over and over again and again and again to to tell us, you want to understand God's power? It says, look at the gospel. You want to see God's power? Look at Christ, risen up from the dead, who's powerful even over death itself. And for you and I, friends, this has to change everything. Our future is embedded in a real hope, in a hope in a resurrected king. And that gives you and I, it gives our lives actual meaning, lasting meaning. I've been reading recently the short stories from uh, Leo Tolstoy, uh, the famous Russian author. And it's been interesting as I've been reading them, then I came across this quote of his in which he, he came to a, a midlife crisis where he was thinking it's, he was ready to give it all up. And here's how he was thinking through it, where he says, my question, which was at the age of 50, it brought me to the verge of suicide. It was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I'm doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why should I wish for anything or do anything? It can be expressed also like this. Is there any meaning to my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Paul says, yes, there is a power that comes from the resurrection of Christ, which takes him from the grave to the highest of heavens and which he rules over all. And being that what is true for Christ is true for you and I. This, friends, opens our eyes to a whole new way of understanding what real hope and real power actually is. This whole prayer Paul, that the Lord would open your eyes and open my eyes to the revelation, to the riches and the resurrection of Christ, his real power. And I was, I, as I was reading this and thinking through opening, he wants our eyes to be opened up to this, the eyes of our heart to really see this and not just kind of cognitively know about it, but that it would percolate into our very hearts, our very being. And I, and I was reminded of, you're familiar with the tale of, of second Kings six, where Elisha was surrounded by the Syrian army. Recall the scene where Elisha, he's there and they, they've been having some victory over the Syrians, but the Syrians finally began to get the upper hand. They knew where the, where the Jews were encamped and they knew how to get a hold of them and, and they were going to surround them. And so they brought all their horses and all their chariots in the middle of the night and they surrounded them. And you wonder, okay, what's going to happen here at this point? And you read that when the servant of the man of God, meaning Elijah, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he, meaning Elijah, said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elijah prayed and said, oh Lord, please, 
open his eyes that he may see. So that the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Friends, could you imagine the scene, being able to see the power of God on display in such a simple way? And Paul is saying, would the eyes of your hearts be opened up so that you would see, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you would have the ability to see the Lord through his revelation of himself, through the riches of his inheritance, the church, and through his resurrection. John Wesley, who wrote the hymn, Christ the Lord is risen today, said, made like him, like him we rise, ours the cross, the grave, the skies. I'm praying for you, church, that you would know that, that your eyes of your hearts would be open to that. If you're okay with you, even as I prayed this morning, as I began, I, I gave thanks for your faith as I opened this up here. And I want to like pray as Paul does here, that your hearts would be opened to these three things, to the revelation, riches, and resurrection. Would you pray with me? Father, would you lead us to know the fullness of you? Would you bring us to a place where we not just know about you, but know you fully. Would you give us that knowledge of you? So we say, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer. Would you lead us, Father, also to have an abiding love for one another here? That we would grow in a, in a love for one another because we also grow in a knowledge of how you love the saints here. And that we would treasure one another more than ourselves And lastly, Father, we pray that our hope would be embedded right now, that we would know your spirit is with us, revealing to us the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, the power that you have over death itself. This would be anchored in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.